that was a real concern because we had no idea what what would be going on in the island. So there there mm. were some difficult conversations we were having with the UK over that. Yeah. Welcome to the Bailiwick Express podcast. My name is Matthew Leach. I'll be joined each week by the editor of the Express, Aaron Carpenter, for a series of podcasts. Each will shine a light on topics from across the Bailiwick. The format will change week to week. We'll have debates, reviews, hot seat interviews and plenty of guests. So stick with us as we offer some insight on the most important issues we in the Bailiwick face. It has been a year like no other, and to review it we needed the help of two of the most important people in the bailiwick. We're lucky enough to be joined on this podcast by the Director of Public Health, Dr Nicola Brink, and Deputy Heidi Soulsby, who was President of HSC when all this kicked off, and now advises the Civil Contingencies Authority, both very well recognised. Now we know the stats, we know where we are, we took this opportunity to talk to them both on a more personal level. First of all, going back in time to the professor at the Cape Town Hospital um, who actually supported you on this journey into public health, into virology, which, as I understand at the time, was still quite a developing area of medicine. Yes. So the the unsung hero was the first person that had a profound professional impact on on my life, and that was Professor John Moody. And it was at the time when I was working as a junior doctor doing haematology, and I was concerned about viral infections really contributing severely to disease and death in bone marrow transplants. And I went to discuss the management of viral infections with him. And I remember him saying to me, you're clearly really passionate about this subject. Come and join us. And I thought about it, and I thought, yes, this is where I want to be. So... He really did put me on the right course. And during my time as a junior doctor specialising in virology, he had a profound effect on my career and really helped me progress forwards. Reflect, if you can, on your your career journey to date. So it actually went far London, my career journey. So whilst I was still um, training, still specialising in South Africa in virology, I went to the International Virology Conference in Berlin. It was just after the Berlin Wall came down, so it was a very historic time in the whole history of the world. And during that time, I presented a paper on the mapping of the HIV epidemic in South Africa, and I was really interested in looking at HIV in the African context. And Professor Tedder came and spoke to me afterwards. Now, Professor Tedder was the head of Department of Virology at the University College London and and University College Hospitals. And we had a discussion and he suggested that I should come and work with him for a while in the UK. And I was really interested in broadening my career, looking at how other jurisdictions were. So I went across to University College Hospital, initially as a senior registrar, which was part of the old junior doctor function, but I was fortunate enough that they were able to create a consultant and senior lecturer post. And I spent many very happy years working at University College, looking at opportunistic um, viral infections, um, working um, with HIV, um, working with bone marrow transplant patients. And I found it incredibly, incredibly rewarding. 
but I've also always wanted to balance my work life with the fact that I have two wonderful children. And when they were young in London, I just didn't feel that I was spending enough time with them. And it was a time that my husband was lucky enough to get a job in Guernsey. And we looked at Guernsey and we said, this is the most amazing place. We want to come to Guernsey and we want to bring up our family here. And at that stage, our son was five and our daughter was six. And they've had the most wonderful childhood here. But I've also been incredibly fortunate to be able to carve a career out in Guernsey. And I'm so grateful for the opportunities that the island has given me. And I guess you could have never have known what the island would be facing when you came over. I guess this is a question for to pose to both of you. I mean, how much has this changed your life in the last year? And when did you when did you know everything was about to change when we were facing what was coming? No, knowing Nikki and and working, we work really closely in the time that I was I, I was at HSC and really helped us bring on what we wanted to do do in health. But knowing her, when she sent an email on the 14th of January to say we're worried about this um, virus in Wuhan, uh, I thought mm. I, I, there was something that told me that this wasn't going to go away. And I, I can, it, and it was a blur after that. For for a long time, it was a blur of um, needing to call the civil contingencies authority, and then it just feels like a, a blur of press briefings and and just going through it. You, you tend to become quite get in, into a routine, even though it was never it was totally out of your normal existence, um, and you just work through. You took every day as it came and it's it's been the one area where this this lockdown has been similar to the last one it's been very different in many other ways but it's just that every day not knowing where we were in terms of the number of cases and are they going to go down are we are we making a difference and, and just feeling that was really it's always been the hard bit I think and just hoping that that we've managed to get on top of it I think it's I think it has been a, a very interesting journey. I can remember looking at those cases arise towards the end of 2019, early 2020, and looking at this thinking this doesn't, doesn't look good. This virus was not behaving in a way we'd seen before. You seem to have human transmissibility occurring. And we really felt, certainly from the middle end of January, that this had pandemic potential, which is why we felt that we had to prepare as such. We knew preparation was key for us as a small jurisdiction, so important. Yeah, and, and I think the truth is there was never any panic anywhere. Public health, this is the information, we are concerned about it. Now we need to get on with it. And I think throughout all this, everybody's been very calm. I don't recall ever in any meeting, any discussion I've had, anybody getting heated about anything whatsoever. It's been, these are the facts, now how do we deal with them? And I think that's been, really good. I really appreciate the professionalism that's been around. And I think also we've been able to have that constructive challenge between the political and officer side. And it's really been that relationship that we've developed over time where we can challenge each other. We feel confident to challenge each other, but it's productive and it's looking for the best outcome always. And those early concerns led to a fateful meeting ahead of the first lockdown where Deputy Salisbury, you would have taken a vote um, to lock the island down. Can you speak about the the weight that you felt when making that decision um, and the, the the massive difference it would make? It 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 was incredibly difficult. Not the, the decision itself 
was not difficult because we knew it was the one thing that we had to do. It was it was understanding the implications on people's lives really hit me, really did. I remember coming home from when we announced the uh, lockdown at Beau Sejour, came up, uh, came home to my husband and I said, oh, I don't know what we've done. I, I hope we've, you know, it was just that feeling of, Gosh, this is this is so such a big thing that we're doing the, to the community. I didn't go into politics to restrict people's human rights. I've gone quite the opposite, and having to do that has been that was very difficult. We we knew we were doing the right thing, but that the 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 sheer height of what we we had to do, you know, the the, the, the it, it's really that that was really difficult, and and ever since it has been and. Particularly this lockdown, it's been knowing that what people had to go through last time, and I think this time it's been much, much harder, and it's been fascinating to see that how it's impacting people's psyches in, in, in a different way. And I'm sure there'll be loads of research papers and everything on this. Uh. I know that's something that people recognise in you, Dr Brink, is your, your calm demeanour at the press briefings, uh, your soothing tones. Um, were there any times where you felt overwhelmed by the, the sheer enormity of what was happening? Yes, I think there's certain times that I'd sit quietly in my office, particularly in the evening, and I'd reflect on the enormity of what was happening, that we didn't have the tools to cope with what was clearly a rapid doubling um, of, of infections. And also we've now detected cases that were unrelated to travel. If you recall, all of the early cases were travel associated or were through contacts of travellers. And this was the first unexplained community seeding. So we knew that the community was seeded and we had to respond. To me, there is one unsung hero, particularly for me in this time, and that's Mark Degare, who's my line manager. When I say he's been with us every step of the way, you couldn't have asked for a better person to go through this with. Absolutely. He was a, he was a, very much a glue in, in all this. I feel yeah. people yeah. together, make sure the conversations are there. But you're, you're right, Nikki, that that was a really worrying time when mm. we weren't getting the tests done. And when we, we thought that they were going to stop doing any of our tests because the UK decided it wasn't going to do community testing. Yeah. And that's what we're reliant on. Yeah. We're, that was that was a real concern because we had no idea what what would be going on in the island. So there there were some difficult conversations we were having with the UK over that. Yeah. But and unfortunately, we've got over it. But that's yeah. very worrying. It was worrying, and it flew in the face of our strategy. So from the beginning in February, we trained up our contact tracers, and we said we're going to have a community test track and trace program, and that was our fundamental strategy. And so we knew we had to increase. The testing capacity and again we had huge support politically but also from the senior management team in the states of guernsey to then develop an on-island testing capacity so what we have now is a molecular capacity on the island that we never had before and we can now test 1500 to 2000 samples a day compared to the 35 we had at the start of the first first wave and that's something i think the island needs to be incredibly proud of because it's no one person that's done it it's everyone working together that's done it. Yeah, you, you're right, Nikki. There. Um, oh, it was such a relief when we saw the equipment <laughs> arrive. <laughs> I'll tell you, we were so pleased. 
yeah. and we've built it up over and we did over the coming months didn't we so one of the last things I think I did when I was in HSC was to get the policy to get the letter through so we could get um we could extend that that the testing capacity which is really good for us for us this time around what we were doing in the community was aligning with what the acute services under Dr Raby and um, Dermot Mullen Lane Burgess were doing in the hospital so it wasn't a barrier of this is my job this is your job it was this is our job and let's work together across the whole pathway rather than trying to divide it into little pieces. And what has it been like managing the workload of it as well? And um, as a modern day politician as well, you're not just getting calls, you're not just getting um, messages and emails from people. You also have people tagging you into social media posts saying, what's this about? Can you explain this? The days must have been incredibly long and it must have been difficult to switch off. It was very important. The early days of the last one and this one is making sure that people didn't get carried away in misinformation that could cause a problem. So I was quite heavily involved in that. And I, 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 we had thousands of thousands of people asking questions that we were having to, to manage all the time. So, yeah, it was. Yes. Covid was about the, 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 on the thing that I was always talking about, but at the same time we were trying to keep the, the everyday the, the not BAU going at the same time because um, government doesn't stop and debate doesn't stop. You mentioned social media there. I mean, social media and the digitisation of our lives has been a big part of this year-long experience. Have you have you felt the pros and cons of Facebook and Twitter and rumours and, and getting messages out there? Have they weighed each other up or has it been a... Uh, I think it's been, in many ways, it's been really useful because um, in, in some ways it's not, in some ways it is. In some ways it's it, you can give out information there and then. As I, and as I say, you've got people who say something and say, oh, no, you're wrong. And sometimes when I'm not in the briefings, I look at the comments down the side and I have to say, no, 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 that's wrong. And no, don't worry about it. So, so I get, get that. So from that point of view, it's good. But it, it, it's a lot. I mean, it's, it's a lot of stuff. Done. You, can't pick, you can't pick everything out early days right from the beginning it was important to have the the, the um he, head of the, this who who is basically running this was um dr brink up there front and center so people could and a, a face people could feel they could trust it's different as a politician people think well what are you doing and there'll always be a question about you know the, the politician but having um somebody who is has has not got those that, that baggage around her and who could speak with authority and, uh, and all about the science behind it and, and help educate the community to one because the more you're informed the more you feel that you're you can deal with, with the subject at hand and understand what's going it's when when you don't know and you you've got no information that people start to really really worry so early days it's all about being open and honest with the with the community telling them when we got it wrong which we did because we always and we said very upfront we would we would never get it all right because we were we were making it up as we went along i mean i mean that makes it sound like we were picking things out the air we weren't we were we were using judgment and and evidence all the time but we didn't have um a book to follow to say this is what you need to do with um covid19 and that was the that so yeah very much it's being getting Nikki front and centre of it was yeah. was yeah the best thing to do and now she's the same to a lot of, clearly <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that but I do think also 
you have a duty to communicate that information. I think it's part of your duty to the population. I think it highlights the, the heightened interest with people in Guernsey um, because you probably can't go to the supermarket anymore and not be Dr Nicola Brink or Deputy Heidi Salisbury. Um, mm. And in such a small community, um, I was wondering how that has impacted you. I think from my perspective, it's been enormously positive because we really have had a wall of support behind us. And when you're sitting working late at night and you feel that community support, it honestly makes a fundamental difference. Most people just want to say hello. Um, you know, children want to say hello. I think developing a relationship with children, um, I mean, a mum, but also having that relationship with children, I think it's been of fundamental importance because I think we owe children the dignity and courtesy of explaining what we're doing as well. So being prepared to, yes, have a conversation with a child about what's happening, I think it's really important, as it is important to have a conversation with an 80, 90-year-old. So that communication has been really important. But I think also you need to embrace the community as a whole. And if people want to stop and have a chat when I'm out, I welcome it. I think it's, I think it's great. And I think it's that support that has helped us get to where we are. And I think we need to embrace it and celebrate it because I think it's been absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, I've been humbled by the reaction I've got. I mean, used to being sometimes collared in, in, in Waitrose for some decision you've made in, in, in other bits of the state. But it's been just people could just coming up to you and, and, and saying thank you. It's really humbling. It's really it really is. It's um, so in, it's great. I mean, it, it did bring the community together and I think that that's been fantastic. I think second time round has been so much harder though uh, for all of us. Yes. It's just thinking, oh, we're going to have to go through it again. But the way we've been able to get out of it has been so much faster than last time. It's because of the, the extra the work that's been going on behind the scenes. So we can gear up, get the testing done, and so we and learn from, from last time and hopefully get through it. We don't have to do it again. And that's that's obviously what we're trying to work on now. <laughs> and what we did this time for the first time, we didn't use it in the first wave because we didn't have the capacity, is we did surge testing. So we'd identify an area of interest for us. So it might not have been a direct, well, I've got a case and the contact is X. It'll be, I've got a case, and they might have a two or three um, removed um, link with a specific area, but then there's someone else with a two or three links. So then we put surge testing around that area. So we used our testing capacity to then find um, asymptomatic cases. And that's been a game changer for us is our enhanced testing capacity because it's enabled us to get on top of this wave despite it being caused by a more infectious um, variant. That together with our testing capacity, together with our vaccination our vaccination program have been game changers in the second wave. Yes, because you can react in real time, can't you? You're not facing a uh, two or three day delay every time. No, I mean, we'll get, if we're worried about a case and we think that there's particularly a case in a critical area, we've got two types of tests we can do now as well, which I, probably isn't as well known, is we've got two types of PCR tests one of which is a very rapid test, which um, we use in defined circumstances, but we can have that result available in an hour if we need to. Now, it's not fit for large scale 
um, large scale processing. So you can't do two, three hundred. But if we have particular cases we're worried about, we can test, have a result in an hour, and then, if necessary, put in contact traces um, behind that. And the contact traces, we were getting runs off at eight in the evening, and they would start on the runs at eight in the evening and be working till 12, one in the morning during this wave. So that dedication of people just to really push themselves and work incredibly hard was also of fundamental importance in this wave. And it showed us the difference between this virus and the last one. Was certainly last time everything was put, went into lockdown and Zoom, all the, so many cases just went down. We had a few, but then it was we really saw it go down. This time we saw it go down, but then there was a couple of bumps in, in the mat. And I just, it's fascinating just how, how this virus is spread differently. And that was a concern back then. We said, why isn't it just doing what it did last time? It, it made it very clear that we had a different virus. I think um, this has been fantastic. I mean, I'm going to have to start to draw it to a close soon, but I, I guess one of the final um, questions to put to two of the experts we have in Guernsey is, is about, I guess, about the future. I mean, we're going to have to, are we going to be living with this? What is the landscape going to be two, three, four, five years down the line? So I do think that we're going to have to move from a pandemic to an endemic situation. So a pandemic is when you've got global spread of a, a virus to an endemic situation where you have um, pockets of infection. So I think you will see the transition from a pandemic to an endemic situation. That will then um, be associated with the increased vaccination, the protection against the original SARS virus and hopefully a lot of the variants. Looking forward into the future, I think what we'll do is we'll be focusing on the so-called variants of concern. The variants of concern that I'm particularly interested in are those with reduced vaccine sensitivity. And what you may then have is some sort of vaccine boosting program. The vaccines peak tweaked slightly to allow for more vaccine resistant emergent, uh, vaccine resistant um, strains to be covered as well. So I think moving from an endemic, from a pandemic to an endemic, increasing vaccinated population and a focus on variants of concern rather than all cases of SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, is how I'd see things moving forward. And with that, I think you'll see things like vaccine passports being introduced. Um, you'll see things like um, possibly some testing in various areas as well. So that's how I see the future. I agree with absolutely everything Dr. Brink said there. I would speak from a political point of view. We've really got to focus on recovery now. The COVID has really impacted our community and we 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 need to get on the road of getting out of um, all the problems it has caused uh, and onto the road of, of recovery. So that's why I have spent a lot of time on the government work plan over the last few months because I've seen it as the springboard for Guernsey to really put um, punch above its weight in the way I think the community did last year over COVID. And for me, that's that's what I want to see happen and people getting behind um, recovery. I think that's a, a brilliant moment to, to finish and tie it all up. Thank you so much for your time. And um, I'm sure the public will want us to say thank you as well. And um, yeah, thank you very much for getting involved. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much.
thank you for listening to the Bailiwick Express podcast. The title track was Shift My Weight by Luno. If you enjoyed it, I know it's a pain, but please like and share. It all helps. And remember, you can hit bailiwickexpress.com to stay right up to date with whatever is happening in the Bailiwick. You can find us online, on social, on email, and on internet radio. There'll be more from me, Matthew Leach, and all the Bailiwick Express team next Friday.